0: Hey, good morning. Good day to be in church, right? All right, there it is. Amen. Hey, my name is uh, Jackson. I'm the student pastor here. I uh, am filling in for Pastor David. I got a text uh, late last night, and he was like, hey, man, uh, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to be able to be there. I need you to step in and fill in for me. So that is why I'm on the stage this morning. So I'm super uh, just thankful for another opportunity to open the word with you guys and to be here with you. Uh, This Sunday, if this is your first time, I just want to say welcome. Thank you so so much for joining us here at Calvary. I hope you've had a great time so far, and I hope the Lord continues to speak to you. It's been a fun weekend in the life of our church. How many of you were at Trunk or Treat last night? Uh, Awesome, awesome. I think a lot of the kids I spoke to said they've ate a lot of candy, and I'm sure they slept really good last night uh, with all that sugar. But uh, it was a great time, so hey, if you helped out with that, if you did a trunk, served in some capacity last night, gave candy, invited friends, or just showed up. Thank you so much, that was an awesome event, and uh, shout out to Taylor, our Kids Director. She did a, did a great job uh, with that, so that was awesome to see so many people. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. I wish she was in the room, I think she's out there, but uh, good job, Taylor. And if you've been around for the past month, you know we've been talking about missions a lot, and uh, we had Pastor Elijah from Romania here last week, and it's really exciting so we've been talking about our faith promise missions giving and how we had this goal to want to raise $40,000 over the next year uh, for missions and so the cool thing that I get to share with you is that so far we've had people pledge to give $47,000 as a church collectively so you can clap for that as well that's uh that's our church family committing to give $47,000 and all of that goes to our missionaries around the globe that are doing the work of the gospel. So I just want to say one way to go, church. That is amazing. And I say, too, we don't have to stop at $47,000, right? All this money goes to our missionaries, uh, Pastor Elijah, who's doing the work that he's doing. So I would just encourage you uh, to keep giving. and. The thing is, it's what we've pledged to give. So now we have to follow through on that and see what the Lord does with it. So I'm, I'm so proud of you guys and so happy to be able to deliver that good news. I say, let's hit that $50,000 mark for our missionaries. I think, we can, I think we can do that as a church. So if you haven't turned that in, uh, there's some out at the lobby that you can fill out. And last thing, along the lines of mission, Steve Gerson will be out by the desk. If you wanna talk to him about the disaster relief trip coming up here soon, if you need to sign up for that, need more information, he's out at the desk. No more shameless plugs. Uh, Let's get into the sermon. I'm gonna pray and then we will dive in this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for each person that has gathered here today, whether they're a, a long time member who's been here faithfully for years or a first time guest, Lord, thankful for everyone in this room. And I pray that through your word and through your spirit that you would speak to us in mighty ways. Would you use me as just a broken servant? To deliver your word and that our hearts would be encouraged to worship you and to pursue you in everything uh, that we do in this life Lord and I pray all this in your name amen so as a youth pastor I've told you guys this before a highlight for me in the life of our student ministry is summer camp Uh, summer camp is one of the the most fun things that I get to do and sometimes I feel bad for getting paid to go to summer camp because I have such a good time and one of my favorite things about camp is the worship When you pack 1,000-plus students into one room, and as the week goes on, they just begin to worship the Lord. Like, there's nothing better than that for me when it comes to worship, just watching the young people of God worship Him. And it's amazing, but there's this thing that happens. Uh, You know, you get home from summer camp, and we all know that's the worst thing about summer camp, is coming home, is getting home. That's the worst, because the weekend's. And so you get home from summer camp, and then something is just Difference All of a sudden Sunday morning worship doesn't feel like Friday morning worship at camp and and, and Wednesday night youth group and the the songs that we sing on Wednesday nights. It doesn't feel the same as what you do at camp on 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 Thursday afternoon and say what is going on? Why does it change? I think what happens is the farther and farther students get away from that week at summer camp the uh, the camp high that kids get spiritually fades away. They're on fire for the Lord, and if you were to go up to a student like a day after summer camp and say, he said, hey, you want to go on a mission trip for a whole year? They'd be like, yes, sign me up wherever. I don't care. Uh, but the farther you get away from camp, the less and less that fire is present. It, it, it kind of goes out. And that student who was on the front row at camp with his hands up in the air and tears going down his face is sitting in worship now, barely singing songs. You say, what has happened? <laughs> I think what happens is when you're at camp, you're doing all these things that bring you closer to the Lord. Uh, you're praying, you're reading scripture, you're hearing teaching, you're worshiping, you're doing all these things. But as you kind of get farther away from camp, you kind of stop doing those things. That's what happens with students. They, they stop reading, they stop praying, they stop seeking the Lord, they don't come to church consistently. And so they kind of just flounder and, and move away. But it's not judging students because don't we all do that Don't we see that on on Sunday mornings? Many of us, myself included, will will go throughout the week and we don't seek Jesus, we don't walk with Jesus, so we step into church on Sunday morning when we should give Jesus the praise and the glory and the honor that he deserves, but instead we just kind of stand there and do the, the worship thing. I think the issue is that students begin to forget and we begin to forget just how amazing God is because we fail to spend time with him. We fail to walk with him every single day. It happens to all of us. So this morning, I want to preach a sermon to you that I preached to our students uh, the first Wednesday that we came back from summer camp, and just give you a reminder of who we are worshiping. Who is this God that we get to sing praises to, that we get to give our life to as Christians? So we're gonna be in the book of Revelation, And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4, and I know it's Halloween and Revelation is the spooky book, but it's really one of the most encouraging books in the Bible that you can read. Because the book of Revelation tells you, plainly, that Jesus wins. That our enemy is defeated, Jesus is this conquering king who's coming back to redeem all of humanity, and there's going to be this new heavens and this new earth that the church of Christ gets to dwell in forever. It's really an encouraging book not scary but it's it's good for us and there's this theme of worship that runs throughout the book of Revelation and we're going to tap into that this morning and see some of what uh, the book says in Revelation 4 when we get a picture of the throne room of God and we're gonna pick up in verse 4 it'll be on the screen for you to follow along Uh, it says in verse 4 around the throne that is the throne of God there were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. I'm picking up here. It says, and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen? Amen. That is the throne room of God. That's what we look forward to as Christians. And I want to unpack just a few things from this passage. Number one is that we will see God is the focus of our worship. Uh, It seems simple, but it's a reminder that we all need. I recently heard a pastor who said, You don't have to have anybody teach you how to worship. Worship is just something we all do. You have to be taught what to worship or who to worship because all of us right now are worshiping something because you can worship anything in this life. How many of you when you were in middle school or high school got into a a relationship with someone that you thought was amazing and and whether you realized it or not, as a middle schooler you began to worship this person, this middle school boy or or middle school girl? Or how many of us worship our, our skills? I'm good at this. This is what I offer to the world. Or, or people who worship their appearance, right? It's all about the clothes that they wear. Or they go to the gym, not to be healthy, but so that they can look good and, 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 and be the picture that they want to be. Or you've ever met someone that all they do is talk about their house or their car, and you're like, oh my gosh, I get it. Your house is nice, your car is cool, but I don't want to talk about it all the time. Or, or we can worship a celebrity, an athlete, anything in this life we can worship. But we as Christians have to remember, true worship is done for the Lord and to the Lord. If you look throughout the book of Revelation, I think there's kind of this compare and contrast of true worship versus false worship. It talks about those who worship the, the demonic forces in the last days. Uh, Revelation 9.20, I don't have it on the screen, but it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up, listen to this, worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze, stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. So there's those that worship false things. And we have to be clear as Christians that true worship, biblical worship is done to God and God alone, not to yourself, not to another person. True worship is only done to the Lord. So if you're in the room today and you say, I want to step into true worship, I want to be a person who worships truly, fully, biblically, the first step is realizing who you're worshiping, and that is the God of the universe. And so the focus of our worship is God, and so we're going to unpack a few things from our passage of why we worship God. Jesus. Why? Why do we worship God? Why do we give the praise, the honor, and the glory to God? The passage says a few things. We first see, because he is holy. Verse 8, there's these angelic creatures that look pretty weird. If you try to draw that on a sketch pad, these, these are not like your, your cute, pretty white angels, but these are these are kind of scary, but they're flying around the throne. They're, they're revolving around the throne, and they constantly, it says they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And so them repeating the word holy, holy, holy three times, that repetition is supposed to draw our attention to the holiness of God. What these angels are declaring is that there is no one like God. He is in a category of his own when it comes to holiness and godness. Nobody compares to God in his purity, in his holiness. Holiness is the idea of being set apart, and there is nobody that is more set apart Than God and that is who you and I worship first Samuel chapter 2 verse 2 says there is none holy like the Lord for there is none besides you there is no rock like our God God is so holy that it causes these angelic creatures to never stop declaring how holy he is You and I worship with our life, the one who is literally perfect. He's literally perfection. That is why we worship with passion and excitement. That's why we sing loud. That's why we give our whole life to God, because there's no one like him. He's the only one that deserves the most of our passion, the most, the best of our excitement, because there's no one like him. Why would you worship something that is imperfect when you could worship the God who is perfect in everything? Why would we worship something in this life when we could look up and worship our perfect creator? He second says uh, that we worship God because he has existed forever. The angels then declare, they say, he is the one who was and is and is to come. And look at verse nine, it helps us understand that because that's a little bit of a weird phrase. What it really means is that God lives forever. Verse nine, it says God is the one who lives forever and ever. There was never not a time that God didn't exist. God has always existed. No one created God, no one made God. You can never look in human history or in just any time anywhere that God did not exist. He has always existed. He's existed forever and so we are praising the timeless creator of the universe. God, the the three in one God was never created. Think anything in this world. Anything in the heavens, even the angels, the demons, Satan himself, they were created. There's only one who has existed forever, and that is our God who exists three in one. Revelation 22, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He said, at the beginning of time, I existed. At the end of time, I will exist. Never, not a time that our God has not been reigning supreme over everything. And then we'll see see that he is seated on the highest throne. We worship God because he's the one on the throne. You get that? We are not on the throne. I'm not on the throne. I might be on a stage, but I'm not on a throne. You don't sit on a throne. There's people in this world that have power, right? Presidents, we can look at past kings, you can look at other people who carry a position of authority in this life. None of them compare to God. There is one throne that sits above all other sources of power, all other positions of power, and on that throne is our God. That is who we worship. Is that not exciting? Is that not exciting that the God who sits on the highest throne is the one who died for us? And now we know that no matter what happens in this life, I could lose everything, yet he's still on the throne and I still know what my future holds. It's this, Revelation 4, I hope this excites you. I hope this fires you up, that you sing to the God who sits above every other power. The things that scare you and I, don't scare him. Like we look at what's happening in the Middle East right now and all of us probably are a little like, I don't know how this one's going to turn out. This one's not looking good. And you're reading the book of Revelation, trying to figure out what prophet. God knows, and he is not scared. What causes you and I to freak out, he looks at and does not worry, because he is seated higher than anything. You could summarize these three points from this first part of the passage. We worship God because there is no one like him. That is why you and I worship God. Because there is nobody like him. But the sad thing for us is that our temptation will be to worship ourselves. To worship ourselves like there's no one like us, right? Don't we do that? No? Yes? Mm -hmm. Somebody? We worship ourselves like there is no one like us. I'm guilty of this even this past week. I can look at things I said or things that I thought, treating myself like I'm the most important thing in the world. It's our human condition. It's our sin nature to worship something other than God. But he is the only one who sits on the throne. He is the only one who is holy like he is. He's the only one who has existed forever. He's the only one worthy of our praise. And that'll be our next point, that God is worthy of our worship. What does it mean that God is worthy of our praise? I think it simply means that God deserves our praise. When you sing to God, when you offer your life as a sacrifice to the Lord, you're only giving him what he's worth, what he deserves, what is rightfully his. You're offering up what he deserves as the God of the universe. And I would say that if one of us in here has a worship problem, it might be because you don't think God is worth your worship. You don't think God is worth your time, your devotion. I I look in Revelation 4, there's these 24 elders. These are pretty cool to think about. There's these 24 elders who what? They sit on a throne, but it's a lesser throne than the throne of God. And there's, there's a little bit of debate about who these guys are. Some people think it's the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles that are, that are represented, minus Judas. Uh, uh, some people think it's just a, a, an angel or, you know, maybe just Christians that, that God has picked to put on these thrones. We really don't know who they are, but regardless of who they are, they have some position of power and authority in heaven because they sit on a throne, they have a crown. They're pretty cool dudes, but yet in verse 10, what happens? The elders fall on their face before the Lord in worship. They lay their crowns before the throne and they worship God, and they are the ones declaring in our passage that He is worthy. Look at verse 11. It says, This is what they declared Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Falling down before the Lord on your knees is an act of humility, it's an act of submission. in in, in taking off your crown, your position of status, in laying it at the throne of God, in a way they are saying, Lord, everything that I have, everything that I could point to, to puff myself up, I am laying in humility at your throne. They fall down in humility and submission before the one who deserves it. They say because he created all things and he's existed in all things that have existed, all things that were created. You see, I think a small view of God leads to apathy in our Christian life. Hmm. A lot of Christians in America, I think, just kind of walk around with this idea of like, yeah, God's cool. Yeah. I worship God. Yeah, I go to, I go to church like once a month and yeah, I read my Bible every now and again. God's cool. Yeah. He's a part of my life. But you see, these elders, they have this right view of God, all his glory, all his majesty, all his honor. And what happens to them is they are led in awe-inspired worship, total devotion, total surrender, total submission, kneeling before the throne. It's so much different than what we do today. When they see God for who he is, they cannot help but bow before him. But we have issues We worship ourselves, we worship things in this world. We have a small view of God that doesn't change our life. But when we see a picture of heaven, when we see a picture of God, we see how glorious he is. And it should lead to change in our life. It should lead to worship and devotion. And we see these elders, they they ascribe three things to Jesus. Glory, honor, and power. And I would say these are three things that most people seek in this life. Most of us want glory. Most of us want people to, to give us praise, to give us glory, to pat us on the back. Most of us want honor and respect, right? When, when relationships break down, whether it be husband, wife, parent, child, boss, coworker, often it's like an issue of respect. The, the child doesn't respect the parents enough or the coworker doesn't respect the boss or the spouses don't respect each other and love each other. We want honor in this life and we all want power. We all, if we're honest, get jealous at times when we see other people who have more power than us, more influence than us, more social status than us. All these things though, they give up to God. They say all glory to God, all majesty, all all glory to him, all respect and reverence to God, all power to God. They give it all to the Lord. These things that we often desire in humility, they offer up as a sacrifice to the Lord. I hope you guys are following me this morning. I hope you're seeing this picture of the Lord that is far greater than anything that we could imagine. Anything that we could create, anything that we could worship in this life. And so I'm going to land the plane here with a few thoughts. One, our worship is not dictated by our environment, but by who we are Worshipping, And that can mean a couple things. One, often with students, but I think adults as well, I notice that students, uh, they let their worship be manipulated by their environment. Meaning, if the lights aren't low enough, if the fog machine's not blowing out enough fog, if the lights aren't cool enough, if the music isn't a certain way, students might not worship. They get to camp and it's this cool environment, lights, flash, all this cool stuff, but then you get home and you're around, not old people, but older than them, and suddenly it's back to, to, to hands in their pocket, arms crossed. They're letting their environment, it's not all, our students do a good job at this, but I see this often, that their environment changes how they worship. How many of you struggle to worship when, uh, you know, Matt sings a, little, a few more hymns than you would rather like, right? or how many of us struggle to worship because he doesn't sing enough hymns? That lets our environment dictate our worship because God is the same no matter where you are. Whether you're at summer camp, whether you're in a church and they're singing all hymns or no hymns, whether the lights are flashy, the music's a little loud or it's really quiet or the lights are all bright and you can see everybody, it doesn't matter because the God is the same. But also our environment can shape us through just the seasons of life that we're going through. Some of us struggle to worship when life is hard because we feel like God owes us something better. And some of us struggle to worship when life is good because we think that we earned it. But in all of that, the seasons of life, the environments that we're put in, our God remains the same. And He deserves the same kind of worship, the same kind of devotion in our heart no matter where we find ourselves in this life. Can you guys follow that? Does that make sense? That's hard, that's hard. But I'll ask you this, too. I want to ask you two questions as we close. question, how expressive should we be in worship? How expressive should we be in worship? say, what do you mean by that? Uh, How should you posture yourself in worship? What kind of actions should you do in worship? Should you go full Pentecostal and and bust out the flags and start running around the church? Or is it full Baptist and hands in your pocket and you look like you hate your life when the songs are being sung? (laughs) What should we do? I would, I would say this, I think you should think of yourself how you act at a sports game, okay? Think of the, the last football game that you went to. Uh, during uh, last January, uh, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars made the playoffs, okay? And if you follow football, and don't, don't lose me here if you hate sports, but uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars have been bad for a really long time. And so they finally made the playoffs. And I looked to my wife, it was like a, a Wednesday, and I was like, hey, what do you think about driving down to Florida tomorrow so I can see the Jags game this weekend? And she was like, sure, why not? So we drove down there, my little brother came with us and my little brother and I, we went to the game, okay? And so the start of the game, the players are running out of the tunnel and Trevor Lawrence is about to run out of the tunnel. Okay, and I wish I could have got the video on my phone uh, so you guys could see it, but I'm recording Trevor Lawrence running out of the tunnel, and I'm like, Trevor! Trevor! Woo! Like he could hear me amongst the 20,000 people in the audience. I, I, I'm screaming for a man because I'm excited that he's about to throw a ball to other men in skin-tight pants, and they're going <laughs> to tackle each other. But hear me on this. Hear me. Our God on the throne actually hears you when you sing like he hears you individually like he hears Jackson's worship I feel like that he is worth more than the football field than the Canes game than little Timmy at his flag football game and you're that parent that's going crazy I feel like the unchanging Always existing God of the universe deserves more than like a arms crossed or hands in our pocket, barely singing type attitude. That's good. Now, I know some of us, though, we go to the sports game and we, we don't go crazy. So some of us just express our worship differently. But I will push you and say that I think God deserves more than our hands in our pocket. Yeah. Now, I would never want you to fake it or, or, or do something that you're not there for. But you see the elders, they fall down in worship. They're praising the Lord. And so I think, man, how expressive do we get in worship? That's for the spirit to lead you, but I do think the Lord deserves a little bit more than arms crossed barely singing. I think we can at least sing loud for him. We encourage our students on, on, on Wednesday nights, like just sing loud, not for the other people to hear you, but just knowing that the Lord hears it. Isn't that crazy? And so I would just encourage you to seek the Lord. Lord, how would you have me worship? And however you worship, don't do anything more at the football field. (laughs) Because that feels hypocritical. Right? And then two, And, and we'll close with this. What do I do when I don't feel like worshiping? What do I do when I don't feel like worshiping? I was honest with you, even as the student pastor, there are Sundays when I walk in and I'll be sitting in the back in the little uh, Parents of Young Children section and I'll be sitting there praying, Lord, I really don't wanna worship this morning. Like whether because I had a bad week or just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or like my heart's just not there and I'm like, Lord, I don't wanna worship right now. Will you help me get to a spot where I want to worship? And so I think when we don't wanna worship, we should make sure we're doing two things. Make sure we're daily walking with Jesus, daily worshiping Jesus. And two, sometimes it's good to force yourself to do something that you don't wanna do. Uh, When my wife gets sick, I practically have to tackle her on the ground so she doesn't go out and like go on a two mile run or jump on her Peloton. I'm like, you have a fever, you don't work out right now. But she's really good at forcing herself to do something she doesn't wanna do. And we should do that with our worship at times. When you step in and you're like, man, all these things are going on, I don't wanna worship. Man, my my heart's just not in it, I'm I'm not gonna sing this morning, I don't really. And maybe some of you are like, I just honestly don't love singing. But even in that, to, to make yourself praise the one who has created everything, doesn't that sound silly to say? But we find ourselves in that spot that there is a God who has created everything and you and I get the chance to sing to him and he enjoys it. Like he desires that Jackson Fleuger would sing his praises, that he desires that where you are right now, no matter what you have done this week, in the next few moments, he desires to hear you sing to him. That when you lift your hands and worship to him, he is praised by that, he enjoys that. So I would just encourage you to seek the Lord. Lord, how would you have me worship? So we don't worship for the person next to you or for the people on the stage. We worship for the God of the universe. He is the focus of our worship, and he is more than worthy of our worship. So as I said at the start, we all worship something. We all worship something. 1 John 5, 21 says, little children, keep yourself from idols little children keep yourself from idols keep yourself from worshiping something that isn't god keep yourself from making something the main thing that isn't the main thing because we can take even good things in this life and make them bad things when we worship them as god you know when i was younger i would look at parents and i'd be like man why do parents like freak out over their kids
1: like, like, why do
0: they think their kids are the greatest thing ever? Now I have a son and I'm like, man, I could see how I'd be tempted to, to kind of like make my whole life about him. I could see why someone might worship a, another person because they just love them so much, right? But even in that, we have to make sure that the focus of our worship is God, not a marriage, not a child, not a job, not anything other than God, he alone is worthy of our worship. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to worship. And I just hope that you, however the Lord leads you, would worship in these next few moments because he's worthy of your worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,